0: this is Karen Zesis of ASCOA Online. As the United States prepares to ready for a midterm vote, one topic that comes up in every U.S. election cycle is making headlines again, the Latino vote and the role it will play in the results. This time around, on November 8th, voters will choose all 435 House members and one-third of the Senate. When the U.S. held elections in 2020, much was made of Republicans making inroads with Latino voters. But to what degree was that true? And what issues are really motivating Latinos in this electoral cycle? In this episode, we have two exceptional guests speaking about these topics and more. We hear from Sabrina Rodriguez, now a national political correspondent with The Washington Post, who has long covered the Latino vote.
1: Two things can be true at the same time, and it's that Democrats are still poised to have a majority of Latino voters, Um, but that does not mean that there is not room for Republicans to make improvements.
0: Sabrina spoke with me about how Latin American events affect U.S. voting outcomes, particularly in places like South Texas and South Florida, including a perhaps surprising response to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' decision... To fly Venezuelan refugees to Martha's Vineyard.
2: Today the Ritzy
1: Island Enclave finds itself at the center of a political firestorm as
0: 50 migrants from Venezuela arrived on chartered flights. But first we hear from Clarissa Martinez de Castro, Vice President of the Latino Vote Initiative at Unidos US. She gives us an overview of seismic shifts this year in terms of the issues that the Latino electorate cares about. She also warns that both Democrats and Republicans have work to do.
2: Fortunately, even though Latinos are the second largest voting age population in the country, and we're seeing very, very tight races where very few votes can decide the outcome, parties and candidates are still not reaching out enough to these voters. And if they do, they do it at the very last minute.
0: Thank you for joining us, and we encourage you to check the podcast notes for links of content from our guests and about the Latino vote.
2: You're listening to Latin America
1: in Focus.
0: Latino America in Foco. America Latina in
1: Foco. A podcast by America Society Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region.
0: It's such a pleasure to have you on here with us today, Clarissa. Thank you for joining me. And I'm going to get right into it. Uh, You've stated that Latino voters are not apathetic. They're unconvinced. Can you explain what you mean by this, particularly in terms of this round of midterm voting and the ways parties may or may not be reaching out to Latino voters?
2: Absolutely. First, let me say thank you so much for welcoming us into this space for this conversation. We are the U.S. largest Latino civil rights and advocacy organization. And so we have been engaging in ensuring that our community knows uh, the process, how to register to vote, and that there's also accurate information about the Hispanic electorate in the United States. Interestingly enough, we are a multiracial community in a, by definition, multiracial democracy. But there's a lot of misconceptions about Latinos. Many folks believe that the majority of Latinos are not United States citizens and that many are not just recent immigrants but are undocumented. The reality is that eight out of 10 Latinos in the United States are United States citizens. And Every year, nearly 1 million Latino citizens turn 18 and become eligible to vote. But we also have seen that there are not significant voter registration efforts. So, for example, secretaries of state who are, it's the elected official that in every state makes sure that elections work and all of that. As a performance measure, they don't have, for example, that a significant number of eligible people in their states are registered to vote. You would think it is, right? But it's not one of the measures of performance. So many times it falls on nonpartisan organizations, not-for-profit organizations like us and others to figure out how to make sure that people have the information they need. And so I often say that in a political season where everybody's hearing about this candidate or the other, our candidate is a Latino voter.
0: hmm And it's a very important voting block in the United States because it accounts for you can correct me because you have the numbers, but it's about 10% of the electorate overall. Is that right? Yes, Latinos now have become
2: the second largest voting age population in the United States. And the reason I say that they are not apathetic, they're unconvinced is because every election cycle, we hear a bunch of mistaken assumptions about this community repeated and repeated. And one of those misconceptions is that Latinos don't vote. What we know from the statistics, from the data, is that once registered Latinos in presidential years, vote about 80% of Latinos who are registered vote. So what we have is a registration gap, right? Then in midterm elections, a lot of voters, as you can imagine, don't vote because during presidentials, everybody's hearing about the election. There's a lot more buzz about it than in midterms. So the other thing is to make sure that our community uh, is well-informed and understands that, yes, we may hear more about elections when there's a presidential run in the ticket, but actually local and state officials, uh, in addition to member of Congress, sometimes can have an even bigger direct impact on our daily lives. And then the other thing we see is that, unfortunately, even though Latinos are the second largest voting age population in the country, and we're seeing very, very tight races where very few votes can decide the outcome. Parties and candidates are still not reaching out enough to these voters. And if they do, they do it at the very last minute. And so we keep telling the parties and candidates hey, if you want to get the support of these voters, you got to do your homework too you got to make sure that you're reaching out meaningfully, that they understand what your positions are, and you actually work to win their support.
0: And one thing that we're seeing in this election cycle is a lot of coverage about immigration, a rise in immigration and numbers of people coming or showing up at the border. The thing that's interesting if we look at Latino voters is, uh, per your polling, immigration is not the top issue for them. So can you talk a little bit about a shift in uh, what is really important to Latino voters in this election and why?
2: Yes, so immigration wasn't the top five priority concerns in 2020, not surprisingly. It was a very toxic environment, but the top issue was the pandemic, right? The Latino community in the United States was disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. And we were also disproportionately represented among the essential workers that had to keep showing up to work
0: every single day. Cases amongst Latinos soaring 1,000%. Latinos make up 55% of statewide cases and 46% of deaths.
2: So people were very, very much focused on how do we address these things. Right now, with inflation and the rising cost of living, it is not surprising that that is the top issue for Latino voters. And over the last couple of decades, because this is a community that not only values hard work, but it's also very hardworking. We have one of the highest labor force participations in the United States uh, compared to other groups. Pocketbook issues have always been very important right? The quality of jobs, how the economy is doing for working class families and middle class families. That issue has always been at the top and it continues to be there right now. Inflation and jobs are very pressing concerns. And healthcare, by the way, is also a concern because it's incredibly expensive. And so people are concerned about how to be able to afford it. The two issues that where we have seen a seismic shift is gun violence and abortion. Abortion traditionally has been very low on the list of priority for Latinos. And folks may be aware that recently, the Supreme Court made a decision that overturned a 50-year precedent in the United States that made access to abortion possible. So the seismic shift is that, while it used to be very low on the list, right now it reached number five. 76% of Latino voters stated that regardless of their personal belief, they don't think it's right to make abortion illegal and to take that decision away from everybody else. So there's no division there. It's pretty overwhelming. And that is also true for Latino Catholics and a majority of Latino non-Catholic Christians. On the issue of gun violence, for several years now in the United States, we've experienced school shootings, workplace shootings, um, massacres and attacks targeting people because of the color of their skin or who they are, like the massacre in El Paso where somebody traveled across state lines to look for and shoot Latinos. And so between that, the recent shock of the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, where many little kids died, It's not surprising that Latinos are very concerned about gun violence and under that about how easy it is to access guns in our country. So that issue rose to number two, abortion to number five. On immigration, while the majority of Latinos are United States citizens, the reality is that There are many who live in what we call mixed status families, meaning somebody can be a citizen, somebody can be a legal permanent resident, somebody might be undocumented. And what we have also experienced as a community is that even if somebody is a citizen, when the immigration debate goes toxic, it impacts how Latinos overall are treated, regardless of immigration status. So that's why we often say that Even as Latino go to the polls, very often with the economy and jobs in their minds, immigration is still somewhere in their hearts because of all of those factors.
0: One thing that's interesting looking at some polling is that while Latino voters tend to lean Democrat. When we look at economic issues, it seems like there's a little bit more of a division. What is your view on that and how do you see that impacting this midterm election?
2: As you mentioned, historically, the voting trends have been that Latinos generally have, about two thirds have tended to support Democrats, about one third has tended to support Republicans. But that's not static, right? There's also crossover. On economic issues, I think it depends which in particular you're looking at. Uh, For example, on healthcare access and affordability, Latinos tend to think that Democrats would do better on that front. I think on the economy as a whole concept, there is a number who think that Republicans would be better on that issue And at the end of the day, I think it depends on what is mobilizing voters more. So even with those different orientations, what we saw, for example, in 2020 is that in every single state, um, the majority of Latinos supported the Democratic candidate for president rather than the Republican candidate for president. But there's also been a lot of talk about whether Latinos are shifting significantly to the Republican party. And what the data shows is that actually what we're seeing is pretty much in keeping with the historical trends of about two thirds supporting Democrats and one third supporting Republicans. Republicans had seen some loss in support over the last several cycles that they are regaining now. But the only thing that's clear is that there have been previous instances where both
0: parties had achieved much higher levels of support than what we're seeing. I'm going to squeeze in one last question for you very quickly, because I just want to make this point. You referenced something very interesting about the fact that about two thirds of voters uh, lean Democrat as opposed to Republican. Why do you think we hear this narrative about rising support for Republicans when the figures seem to indicate something else?
2: Because people don't do
0: their homework.
2: Um, I think a lot of times people see a shiny object and it just, and people pile on. I've seen many headlines from many reporters that should know better. Because this is not data that it's hidden somewhere. You just gotta do a little bit more homework. There's always been a swing element in the Latino electorate. We've written about it at Unidos US for like 30 years. And we've talked about these very things we're talking about right now for that long. I mean, with, under the presidency of George W. Bush, he was able to achieve 40% support from Latinos. So when I talk about both parties are underwater based on peak levels of support. I think a lot of folks at the time thought, okay, this is the mark from which the Republican party will continue to try to build and instead as you saw they actually dipped below 30 percent and for democrats we've seen times when their level of support has reached well over 70 percent well above 75 percent and we see those levels of supports also be even though they are still gathering the majority of support it's not at that level so unfortunately because And again, this is not my opinion. This is the data and what we're seeing out there. Right now, the Republican Party seems to have adopted a strategy of demonizing immigrants, which we saw that during the Trump years, to mobilize their base voters. And that's one of the reasons we often say where it comes to winning Latino voters, Republicans are their own worst enemy and Democrats' best friend. But Democrats have sometimes fallen asleep in their laurels. So they also need to do the work to solidify the support they've been able to garner from this community. Thank you so much,
0: Clarissa. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Next up, we hear about the role of the Latino vote in two key states, Florida and Texas, in a conversation with Washington Post correspondent Sabrina Rodriguez. I wanted to say that we feel very fortunate to have you on the podcast, particularly because you have covered the Latino vote in two states that so often come up in coverage and conversations about Latino voter dynamics on a local level. And those two states are Florida and Texas. I wanted to get your view, if you can talk a little bit about what you have seen in your reporting in those two states, and are there particular trends you're seeing in this electoral cycle that are playing out among Florida's and Texas's Latino voters?
1: Yeah, well, first, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I'm a big fan of yours and the podcast, so it's good to be here. When it comes to Florida and Texas, I mean, there have been so many headlines since the 2020 election. And, and even before 2020, I would argue with Florida. There's always been interest in Florida Latinos, Cubans, and what does that look like? But, um, but especially since the 2020 election, there's been a big focus on both states and the Latinos there because former President Donald Trump had made such significant inroads with Latinos in those states. We got a lot of Hispanics.
0: We love our Hispanics. Get out and vote.
1: That surprised many people. Um, But for those that were on the ground and and talking to Latinos in South Texas, talking to Latinos in in South Florida, that wasn't particularly surprising. Um, It had seemed like he had kind of honed in on a message that resonated with Latinos there um, in South Florida. It was partially the way he talked about the pandemic. It was partially the way that he talked about issues relating to Latin America. He focused very heavily on on trying to paint Democrats as socialists and tying it to you know many people's countries of origin. Which in South Florida, there's many Venezuelans, many Nicaraguans, many Cubans. Um, And then in South Texas, we saw that he focused very much on the issue of immigration, on the issue of the border. He visited South Texas several times, he visited Florida several times. Um, So there's been a big question about is this going to, are, are Republicans going to be able to replicate that in 2022 when Trump isn't on the ballot? Um, When when, you know, he's not he's not running again Um, at this point, you know, for for a midterm election. So at this point, I mean, we are seeing that Republicans have invested significantly in South Florida and significantly in South Texas to try and, you know, keep that energy going. Um, I would say it's too soon to know (laughs) what you know what the outcome is. I always have to put that asterisk. But Democrats do have reason to worry. Now, I think, and and I want to emphasize this, two things can be true at the same time, and it's that Democrats are still poised to have a majority of Latino voters, Um, but that does not mean that there is not room for Republicans to make improvements, and with Republicans doing better with Latinos, that will hurt Democrats in states like Florida and Texas, where they need a sizable um, Hispanic turnout to be able to win elections.
0: One uh, thing that's come up obviously in the news in, in recent weeks was this controversy when Ron DeSantis was involved with flying a number of Venezuelan migrants to Martha's Vineyard, to Massachusetts.
1: Martha's Vineyard is also a liberal
0: sanctuary, which is what led Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to fly the asylum seekers there. We are not a sanctuary state. And it's better to be able to go to a sanctuary jurisdiction. And yes, we will help facilitate that transport for you to be able to go to greener pastures. How does something like that play out in Florida and particularly with the Latino vote? What are you hearing about the response to that and what it might mean for the election?
1: I have to be honest that that it's actually kind of been surprising, having covered South Florida for a long time, to see the reaction. I expected... A stronger response from latinos in south florida but it's actually been very very along ideological lines at this point um you know we've seen lots of venezuelan republicans that that have come out and and defended desantis and have said no this needed to happen he's drawing attention to the situation at the border there is a crisis at the border Um, you know, why are people fixating on 50 migrants being sent to Martha's Vineyard when thousands of migrants are coming every day? I mean, it's been I've I've heard lots of the Republican talking points that we hear at the national level that we hear from from folks like Trump or, or DeSantis on this issue. I'm hearing it from Latinos themselves, hearing it from Venezuelans themselves in South Florida. Now, the question is, How many people will flip? I mean, how many Venezuelans from witnessing this, um, and not just this standalone case, but DeSantis has said that this is a plan that he has, that he's going to be doing this going forward. um, And and as he does this and continues to potentially target Venezuelan migrants and send them on planes to different cities across the country, um, if that will actually flip people that Venezuelans that voted for Trump in 2020 um, and now decide not to vote for, for DeSantis because they, you know, this has left a bad taste in their mouth. Um, I think there's an open question here, but something that has been striking has been to hear Republicans in Florida say, you know, well, but the Venezuelan community is actually not that large. It's actually not that many thousands of votes in the end. It's a clear shift from what we've heard where they've been, you know, actively courting Venezuelans. So part of it is that they're banking that they're actually not going to lose many Venezuelan voters in the process. And the other part is them saying, well, but if we lose some, we can afford to lose some because we're in a good position to begin with, Um, which, again, I I just don't think we would have seen that um, a couple of years ago. They understand that and this is how they frame it, that, you know, the fault is on Joe Biden and the president is not handling the situation at the border.
0: You've also reported and you've covered the impact of international events on Latinos and immigrants in the United States, for example, how climate change is affecting immigration from Guatemala. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how U.S. foreign policy toward Latin America has affected how Latinos might vote. Do you see issues that are coming up in the region that are having an effect in the way that Latinos are shifting their vote now?
1: I could spend days <laughs> talking about this subject, and I hate to to just focus on Florida because obviously Latinos are everywhere, um, and, and the Latinos in the United States are not just Cuban, Venezuelan, and Colombian. But in South Florida, we have seen it; it's a particularly acute there, um, where you know Republicans under the Trump administration, when policies were changed, for example, toward Cuba or Venezuela, and you know, new sanctions were rolled out or old sanctions were touted. Um, people from the Trump administration were coming down to South Florida to to tout it and talk about it. So they used that to galvanize the the Latino vote in 2020. And we've seen how, you know, individual actions from the Biden administration have had a strong response in South Florida already. It was already clear that, that Biden did not have a strong Cuban support in 2020. But as he has navigated the protests in Cuba last year and took time in announcing any kind of rollout or any kind of policy after that, um, that has been sparked lots of criticism within that community. Um, things like how he is now navigating Petro in Colombia has, has been brought up in several conversations that I've had with leaders in South Florida where you know, they worry that if Biden is too friendly towards Petro, then that could actually cost votes in the election. There's certainly a lot of sensitivities around that um, in Florida in particular, where you see Latinos keeping an eye on what's happening back home for them since there are so many Latin American-born folks in South Florida that are making decisions about who they're going to vote for or making decisions about, OK, well, if Biden gets along with Petro, does that mean that Democrats are socialists that I mean, that's the kind of ads, unfortunately, that we see at times where connections are being made that while they might not be accurate are ones where people just feel very sensitive from from the situations they've already lived in their home country.
0: So I'm wondering if you see international issues affecting the vote in other states. Is there is there something that ends up being a topic in other parts of the country where we might not see the same kind of cross section of nationalities as you do in South Florida? I mean, I've also had conversations
1: with with folks in Texas that do keep up with, you know, Andres Manuel López Obrador and what's happening in Mexico and what the relationship looks like between the U.S. and Mexico. And there it's oftentimes not specific to policies that, that López Obrador is enacting in Mexico, but it's more, okay, well, these what's happening in these border states affects us. Or, and by border states, I mean the border states in Mexico. Um, we're saying, okay, well, if crime is up there, then that's something that we're increasingly concerned about here, or if we're talking about drug trafficking, and, and obviously Republicans have focused very much so on, on fentanyl. I've been looking at Republican ads lately, and it, fentanyl overdoses is something that comes up
0: repeatedly. What are you seeing happening ahead of the 2022 midterms? What's happening now in terms of misinformation, particularly with the Latino electorate? Well, it has
1: definitely not gone anywhere (laughs) since 2020. Um, It has definitely been amplified and heightened. Um, But it is something that at this point is coming from both sides. Um, I would say it's actually been really interesting. There was a memo that came out recently from Equis, which is a democratic consulting firm that focuses on Latinos that actually kind of sent out the message to campaigns and to, to folks paying attention to politics saying, don't blame disinformation. Um, And I was actually reading it just before we spoke. um, And it's them saying, you know, disinformation is something that's an issue for democracy, but it should not be capitalized on as an issue for Democrats um, because Democrats and Republicans alike should be worrying that the voters are receiving one-sided communication um, and, and shouldn't be assuming that Latinos are making their decisions to vote based off of them consuming disinformation. I thought that conclusion was really interesting from from their work. They do a lot of surveys in battleground states, and if you look at social media and you have conversations with folks, after 2020, there's been lots of discussion about all Republicans are making gains with Latinos because of disinformation, and they're capitalizing off of it, but but it's interesting to see that then it's actually not having as significant of an impact as we've discussed in the past.
0: On a Somewhat different note, a little bit more positive note, um, we are seeing greater representation of Latinos in political posts all across the country. We're seeing Latinos run for office. How do you think having more Latinos in office and running for office has affected this midterm? And what does it mean for Latino voters as they go out to cast ballots?
1: I mean, I think it's huge. I don't want to get on the soapbox about the importance of representation, but to have Latinos running for office, having more Latinos in office, and I would add having more Latinos working for campaigns, then we're seeing more culturally competent conversations in politics. Um, So that being Latinos running for office that can, one, speak in Spanish to those that that predominantly speak Spanish and can do that effectively – but also just in terms of pushing for certain things on Capitol Hill to get done, for example, or, or if they're running for state legislature and their state legislatures, but being able to advocate for things that lawmakers that are not Latino would not know to advocate for or do not prioritize the same way. For example, with Republicans having more Latinos running for office, that also kind of has given a permission structure for more Latinos to consider voting Republican. Um, in South Texas, for example, the person that I think of um, right now is Congresswoman Myra Flores, who won in a special election earlier this year, and she's running against the incumbent in a neighboring district, Congressman Vicente Gonzalez. And in South Texas, I mean, it, regardless of the view, the, the views, whether Democrat, Republican, she is the first Mexican-born Congresswoman in office. To have her that has obviously represented been representation. And even just seeing the debates that she's having with Congressman Gonzalez has been fascinating because they have a more nuanced understanding of South Texas than, you know, or, or of Latinos um, than not having another Latina candidate running. Um, so I think it's, it's creating more nuanced conversations um, and, and
0: definitely, I think, empowering people to, to go out and vote more. Very interesting. Sabrina, thank you so much for talking with me today. Yes, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Karin Zesis. This episode was produced by Jennifer Vilcarino and Luisa Leme. Get poll numbers and hear more about the Latino votes impact on the U.S. midterm elections at www.as-coa.org slash 2022. music in this podcast is performed by Quinteto Latino for America Society. Check the podcast notes for a link to the video and find out about upcoming concerts at musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can help us spread the word. Write us a review, give us five stars, or subscribe at Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at www.as-coa.org slash podcast.